Amen. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bring us life, bring us alive, make us, grow us into you and to your image that we would be living, living faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a gift for some lucky uh, participant here from church. It's a, it's a good computer. It was, it was a great computer and still works, mostly. <laughs> uh, just a, a little problem with the keyboard. And, and you, I mean, so if you don't mind pushing a one instead of an I, it still works. <laughs> and well, the, the battery does... It doesn't hold a charge any longer, so you need to maybe plug it in, but the cord is a little, you know, so just as long as it's in the right spot, it'll be fine. And, but, you know, this, the line down the screen, it doesn't seem to affect anything. Um, and I guess I put it aside because it had a virus and the hard drive crashed. But, but other than that, it's a great gift. Do we, are we like that sometimes? We are going by the title Christian, and we have all kinds of ideas of what that description would look like, but we're not really working very well. This text that we're looking at today is talking about faith in, in works, and it, James says so bluntly, faith without works is dead. And Martin Luther was going to throw the whole book out of the canon of Scripture because of that one statement. There's one small path that James is walking on. And on either side of the path is a ditch. On the one side is a ditch called works righteousness. So we can do things and, and we can earn our salvation. We can do things to make God pleased. Uh, we can at least contribute something to what God needs. And on the other path is the temptation for dead faith, where I can live however I want because I'm saved and I really don't have to worry. I might check my heaven box. So how is it that we live and walk and through this uh, path of life? Uh, the... Uh, it is important as we walk down this narrow path to recognize and remember who James is writing to. He says he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, and he calls them his brothers. So these are people who are followers of God. They're believers. And he is describing a displayed righteousness as opposed to a declared righteousness. And the, the terms that are used to describe that, sanctification versus justification. So this is a, a description and a text that will challenge you. Let's look at that text and then we'll get into the details in more, more, in, in more detail. James 2, beginning of verse 14. For what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do or my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteousness, righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Such an uplifting, encouraging topic for you. I will encourage you in this one point, is that you will find Jesus intermingled into this text. And keep your eyes open and looking for that as we go through this. This text is describing God at work on the outside as opposed to God at work on the inside. It is intended to be a mirror to show you who you are. And it might be ugly. Uh, Be ready for that. It might challenge and convict you. But note that it is God's word that is doing the challenging and the conviction. It is uh, intended to expose what is on your inside. So let's dig in. It's got this text has four radical statements or descriptions of a Christian. First radical description is found in verses 15 and 16. I'm going to read it again. See if you can pick out this radical claim. Verse 15, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Are you ready? First, radical claim. A Christian cares about people. Such a a revolutionary thought, I know. You know, the the reality is is that there's many non-Christians that are caring about people. In fact, in our society, we have safety nets set up to care about people. We have welfare, we have government programs, we have food shelves, we have uh, shelters, social services. So it's pretty easy as a society to say, oh, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. Because we care for people through our organizations. But as a church, we have a higher standard. We're going to raise the bar for how we care for people. 
So we have, you know, this month is our support month for Marie Sandvik Center. We're emphasizing them this month. And their ministry, downtown Minneapolis. We also have Good in the Hood right here in Bloomington. It's a food shelf and food bank. Uh, we have many different organizations that we are, as a church are supporting. Uh, Teens, Teen Challenge, um, Metro Hope. Uh, we have the House of Hope right next door. Lots of ways that we as a church are supporting. So it's really easy for us to say, keep warm, be well-fed, and uh, go in peace. Stay warm and, and well-fed. But if you look closely at this text, you will notice that this text is, says, if one of you says. This is a personal application point. Now, I don't know uh, what your exposure is to those who are restless and in pain and hungry, uh, either physically or spiritually. Because it's our temptation to isolate ourselves from all of those people and situations. They're messy. As uh, pastors here at the church, we have people coming pretty regularly, and they have a need. And so it's tempting to say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy to deal with this. Here's a cub, goof, cub gift card. Go in peace, stay warm and well-fed. Because when you start investing in people's lives, it gets messy. What about you? Are you insulated from those who are needy around you? James makes this one very simple point. Christians care about people. And if you are to compare that to, we just, in our confession of sins, made a big statement about being like Jesus. I heard you say it. Jesus was confronted with the same thing, messy people. And so Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the great, great commandment of the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it seems pretty straightforward, but we pat ourselves on the back and say, take care, see you later. One thing that I've found as uh, we've gone through this pandemic where the isolation is even greater is hearing stories of real people insignificant in the world who are caring about others. There's, they're writing letters, they're calling, sometimes the people that are calling every day to check on how others are doing, bringing, doing errands for them. Nobody notices that except for Jesus, and that's enough. Uh, I think of a Samaritan's Purse. Going to places where they are sometimes not even appreciated, you know, whether it's New York City or whether it's down in the Gulf with all of the hurricanes. 
All right, let's move on to the second radical claim. It's in verses 18 and 19. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith by what, but without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. All right, brace yourself. A Christian believes in God. Revolutionary. We, we know that how do, you have, how do you even have faith in God or in Christ or any of this without faith? Believing is critical. It's the central thing. But then why does James compare the believer to a demon? That's a pretty humbling comparison. The question might be asked, what does it mean to believe in God? Or you might even ask, what is the difference between a demon and a Christian? Some Christians are... No, I won't go there. (laughs) But a demon recognizes the existence of God. And this text describes the fact that they they have fear of God. They even listen to God. You think of Jesus as he was casting out the demons. They would even plead for mercy. So what's the difference? It is faith in action. Faith is a noun that requires action. It requires an object. What is it that you are going to believe in? So we can know all about God's existence or his power, his greatness, his word, what he has done. But unless we put it into practice personally, it is empty. So the question becomes, what do you do about his knowledge and his power? What do you do with his word? What do you do with the things that he has done, the great things? If we believed that God really, if we really believed in God and all that he says about himself, and we would be unstoppable. Hudson Taylor, there's lots of examples we could use, but Hudson Taylor came to my mind And when he was preparing to go to China as a missionary, he was going through medical school, and there was two different organizations that offered to pay his support and daily expenses. And so he told this one, no, there's another group that's asking asking to help me. And he told this group, no, there's a different group that's offering to support me. And so he declined both offers because... He said that unless I can trust God himself alone, how can I go forward into China where I will be just alone with the Lord? If we believe in God as opposed to ourselves, if we trust in God as opposed to trusting ourselves, or follow him, rely on him, It'll change everything about us. And we will not have any fears that get in our way. Okay, third radical thought and point. Verses 20 to 23, let me read that again. 
real complimentary verse here. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our faith that Father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. All right. A Christian obeys God. Another, another statement to uh, really swallow hard on. You know, it, it is uh, a challenging comparison where he describes Abraham offering his son Isaac in this idea, an example of putting our faith into practice. We can't even work out the deeds, the small challenges that God gives to us or the small invitations to obey in minor matters, like the ten suggestions. Thank you for laughing. Can we not accept these Ten Commandments as gifts from God? Things that are going to be for our benefit. He established them so that we will live a prosperous and good and healthy life, that we put Him above all the other gods that distract us from life, that we honor Him, that we set a day aside for rest, that we honor our parents. What a radical thought. Not murder, not commit adultery, not steal. And even the thought in our mind is a part of breaking that. Instead, we have a temptation to pick and choose what we want to obey. And we have this idea that we're going to take God's word and it's one piece of advice that we use to make decisions. And other parts of it, well, maybe it applies to someone else. Or maybe, maybe God just doesn't understand. Or maybe it depends on the situation. Those are the common thoughts that run through our minds. But if we don't accept him and his commandments, his leadership, his authority, his, and follow under him, obeying him, then we put ourselves in a position as God. Think about this for a second. This book is written to the 12 tribes that are dispersed. Why are they dispersed? Because they didn't obey God. And as it describes there at the very beginning, the truth is, if we don't obey God, it looks foolish to the world. Uh, this question about the uh, leadership seminar that's coming up on October 28th. We were wrestling with that as a staff, and Pastor Nick asked the question, why is this essential for us to go to and attend? And we came up with various descriptions, very back and forth. But ultimately, it came down to this. If we don't put our faith into practice, 
If we don't obey God, what are we? And as a church, we just are going to disintegrate if we don't build up and grow and disciple. Lots of terms that you can put on that leadership development. If we stop and think about who he is, he is able to see the beginning to the end. He knows everything. His promises are always true. He's never been wrong. He knows you. He created you. He knows what your needs are. He came to earth, and he understands the challenges you face. There's good reason to obey him. And yet we struggle. Okay, the fourth radical concept, verse 25. In this same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. A Christian trusts God with their life. So if you are going to be giving an example of faith and works, probably not often you're going to pick uh, Rahab or a prostitute to be your example. Let's, let's review Rahab and her life and her situation there. So Israel is ready to go into the promised land. They've already crossed the Jordan, and now the first town that they're going to come to is Jericho. And so they send two spies to check on Jericho and to see if, it's, uh, if, it's, if they're going to be able to do anything about it. And so they end up at Rahab's house. And now the question is before her. Will she turn them into the people of Jericho? Or will she hide them and risk her life? She had heard and describes this about the God of Israel and how they had crossed the Red Sea, how they had taken down the Amorite kings, So was she going to trust the people or was she going to trust the God of Israel? And so in Joshua 2, verses 11 and following, she says, Rahab, the prostitute, she says, The Lord your God, telling the Israelites, The Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. What do you trust with your life? I think of John and Hannah. Hannah's uh, claim to fame is the Trish Annenson's um, cousin's daughter, so second cousin probably. But probably the bigger thing is just friend of Emmaus, I think that's the title. You know, they're taking their family, young children, going to a place they don't even speak the language. That's trusting God with your life. We're living in the midst of this pandemic. 
And we have to trust God with our life every day. Even the fact that you come to church is a statement of saying, I'm trusting you, God. Some of you are aware that uh, three weeks ago, my stepfather uh, passed away. His name was Cully. I want to describe his life a little bit. So, 53 years, he lived as a good man. He grew up in a, a difficult, uh, broken family. His father was an alcoholic and all manner of problems that go along with that. But he served in the Army. He was on the Minneapolis Police Department. He was a hardworking businessman. He was honest and respectable in every way for 53 years. And then as he was working in the juvenile division with the Minneapolis Police Department, he became disillusioned because he could not change the lives of those that were coming into the system. And that crisis forced him to realize that he also needed Jesus. And so then his life changed. He was still a good guy, still did good deeds, but inwardly he was transformed. He had a joy that filled his life. He was deliberate about sharing his faith. When he would pray, he didn't have any Bible school or any training that way, but he would raise his hands and he would pray with a passion, a spiritual passion, as if he was standing before Jesus himself. He took up a motto that I want to take up myself. He is, and he had it embroidered on shirts, and he would tell people regularly, Jesus loves you, and so do I. What difference does, faith, what difference does faith make? There's a world out there that is longing to know that faith makes a difference. And if we look at our lives, when we think about these four points, about caring for people or believing in God or obeying God or trusting Him with our lives, honestly, we fail. And that's the point. Because it drives us to Jesus. And that, that is where the real radical display is shown. Because he cared enough about us to leave heaven, to be born in a stable, to be living among us, to touch the leper, to heal the sick, to care about people. He believed in you enough to offer you the chance to be a child of God, an heir of heaven, That's radical. And how obedient? Obedient to death. Even death on a cross for you, for your sins, so that you could be forgiven. You could be clean and wiped. Wiped clean of all of your sins. 
and trust. He trusted you with his life. Trusted you with his word. He trusts you with his spirit. Even to us faithless prostitutes. You see, it's not your faith that saves you. And it's not your works that saved you. It's Jesus that saves you. Because where does your faith come from? It has to have an object, and that object is Him. He is the one that we believe in and we trust in. Where does your work come from? He's the one that created you. He's the one that gives you the talents. He gives you the reasons to care about somebody else. He gives you the ability to live out your faith. He's the motivation behind all that we do. We love because he first loved us. See, if God is on the inside, it's going to transform what you are on the outside. Because he's a radical God and, and when he's living on the inside, people are going to see him. May that be the display of our lives. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be visible in and through our lives. Lord, we fall short. We look at this text from James and we feel like, how in the world can we even measure up or stand at all? But by your grace, you've given us a calling, a purpose, Lord, I pray that we would be able to care about those that are around us. Let our, give us a desire to get messy with people and step into their lives. I pray, Lord, that, that we would have a faith in you that does not cower to fear. A faith that is unstoppable because you, Almighty God, are Almighty. Oh Lord, I do pray that we would be obedient because you are at work giving us that heart, a transformed life, and that when it's all done, we trust you with our lives and we live out our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.